Turn your Bibles to John chapter 15. We're going to be looking at the first 10 verses there this morning, and I want to preach to you on the message of got fruit. Got fruit. Anyone got some fruit? Bananas, apples, oranges? No, not that kind of fruit. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to be looking at uh, what it means to bear fruits. Um, we're, I want you to just really hang in with me. This is a message that God has put on my heart for a while now, and uh, thankful to have a full voice this morning, unlike last time. You don't have to probably be a little bit easier to, to hear me t- today. Uh, thankful for that. But uh, first, let me just say, you know, it's a new year. Welcome to 2024, right? Uh, new year, new you. That's what the world tells us, right? We're obsessed with self-improvement. If you looked at the commercials lately, you looked at social media, you see it all over the place, like now's the time to just better yourself, just change who you are, just replace your entire personality. It's doable, right? The reality is, how many have already failed news resolutions? Anybody? Wow, you guys are doing great. I'm, I feel bad about myself now. Um, <laughs> the truth of the matter is, no matter uh, what the calendar says, you bring yourself into the new year, Right? And so no matter what the change of the date, I, I always get tickled by the people that, you know, they'll post something or say something like, man, 2023 was just the worst year ever. I can't wait till 2024 because it's going to be a better year. Like, it's just a number, right? Like, it's like anything's able to happen at any point. It's not that just some, the calendar turns over and everything's new now, right? Like, oh, we can leave it all behind. We go with us. You know, things, things don't change. It's just a matter we're putting our hope in a calendar date, really? That's the hope? Uh, man, we're in trouble if we think just because we put a 24 instead of a 23, everything's going to change for us. I'm so thankful this morning that I don't put my, fo- my hope in. I don't put any of my future dreams like everything's going to make a difference just because of a calendar. I, my hope and my faith and trust are in Jesus Christ. Amen? And we're thankful for that. We're thankful for that. Um, but in this season, in this culture of self-improvement, self-care, self, all these different things, we hear this, this, lots of these phrases. I mean, this is now the mantra. It used to be kind of hidden and people wouldn't say it out loud. Now they're saying the quiet parts out loud. They're saying things like, I am enough. I, it's, it's okay. I, I'm, I'm enough. I can do it. I, this is going to be my year. This is going to be the mere, your me. The, the very phrase, I am enough, we're not enough. If we were enough, we wouldn't need a Savior. If we were enough, we wouldn't be in the situation that we find ourselves in. If we are enough, that's literally the thing that the culture is trying to scream and teach us is that, like, you just, just believe in yourself. That doesn't get you anywhere. Believing in yourself will take you down the wrong road real fast. Believe in Jesus. Believe in God's word. Believe in what, his, what he has came to accomplish for us in relationship with him that's what we should believe in. So we're not enough. We wouldn't need a Savior if we were. But we have this society that says we always want to get better. We want to improve. We, we want to lose that weight, or we want to get more organized, or we want to do this and that. And all those things are good on the surface, but at the end of the day, it means nothing in the face of eternity. I'm not saying we shouldn't be good stewards of our bodies and, and that there's good practices and all those things, but our main focus as believers, if we're trying to talk about improving ourselves, is we need to grow deeper in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only way we're going to improve anything in our lives, anything of lasting value. So when we're kids, we want to get older. Anybody ran around kids or had grandkids? and that, that's, They always want to get older. They always want to get bigger, right? They want to be able to, because why? Because they feel like they're missing out on stuff. 
I'll tell you a quick story. My, my son Jaden, we were a couple years ago back when he was like three years old, we were at Bush Gardens. And at Bush Gardens, they have all these animal exhibits and the kangaroo exhibit. We got to the front, and guess what? You have to be five and up. So he was bummed. He's three, so he couldn't do it. So he had to feed the ducks with mama, which he, you know, had a good time. But he remembers being left out. He didn't get to see the kangaroos. And so, you know, we don't even have passes anymore. haven't had it for a year. But every now and then, out of the blue, he'll just mention something in the car. I can't wait till I turn five so I can see the kangaroos. Like, you're, you're still hanging on to that, buddy? It's okay. We'll take you back to see the kangaroos when you're five. But why? Because he felt like he was missing out on something. He's like, I want to see the kangaroos. I can't wait till I'm big enough when I can see them, right? And my, my older kids, they can't wait till they stay right in the front seat. They can't wait till they, they get a cell phone, which will be a very long time. Uh, uh, <laughs> Hate to break it to you, kids. Um, but I tell you, as a youth pastor, I know the dangers of it. This is kind of a side note. This is for free, so just hang on. Uh, canning your kid a cell phone is like hanging a toddler a grenade and hoping they don't pull the pin. It really is. There are so many dangers to cell phones. Again, this is for free. It has nothing to do with my message. Uh, but anytime I can, pre- I can tell you that, I'm just going to tell you that because I see the dangers of it firsthand as a youth pastor. I see the damage it can do. We have got to be in control. We have to be guardians of our kids, protect them. And by doing so, they don't need a cell phone. Um, that's free. <laughs> but listen, I want you to they're tired of missing out. That's what it comes down to. That's why kids want to grow up. They're tired of missing out. But can I tell you something that breaks my heart this morning? Can I tell you that how sad it is that we have so many Christians today that are sitting in our churches that are content to not grow up in a relationship with God. They're content with spiritual infancy. Spiritual babies. They don't want to grow up. We can see the evidence everywhere. We've we all been guilty of it. They're drinking milk when they should be eating steak. They are crawling when they should be running. They have the same Bible reading plan this year that they gave up on last year Because they fail to see that God doesn't want 15 minutes of our day. He wants every second of our life. What we have to understand is why are we content with spiritual infancy? Why are we content with with the status quo, with with just the bare basics in a relationship with God? Why aren't we tired of missing out on so much more that God has given us? He's made it available to us. God wanted to meet with us. God is so willing to have a relationship with us that he sent his only son to die on the cross for us, to make a path for us to have a relationship with him. He's willing. How much more willing can he be to to shed his own blood for us? So he's willing. There's no question about that. The question is, are we willing to do what it takes to have a loving, growing relationship with Jesus Christ? to bear fruit in our lives, to have evidence of that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He gave his son. Are we willing to do what it takes to, re- to receive him? There's a great divide in our churches today. I grew up in the north uh, for the mo- big part of the, my, my childhood. I, I grew up for the first 14 years. I lived in Oklahoma, and in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it has a Bible belt. Big churches on every corner. Just everybody's a Christian, right? Uh, you Dial that in to how they live their lives. You can make big questions about that. But, but a Christian in culture. There's a culture of Christianity. So much so that in my public middle school, there was three Bible studies I attended. At a public Bible. I had a Friday, Monday morning, Wednesday at lunch, and then Friday morning. Three different times I got God's word fed to me at a public school. Think about that. 
fast forward, I'm 14 years old, I, we moved from Oklahoma to Syracuse, New York. I got there and I'm like, hey, when's the Bible study? They're like, the Bible what? What is that? It was a different world. It is not the Bible Belt. People did not know Jesus for the most part. And what, there was not a church on every corner. And I remember the culture shock I went through. Because you didn't have that cultural Christians all around you. Things just, even if they didn't truly believe, they didn't truly walk, they didn't truly have a relationship with Jesus, they had just enough Jesus to be dangerous. They knew just enough Bible to be dangerous, to have a false sense of security. It was still cool to just have Christian lingo. I was talking to our life group last week, and I was kind of giving them, give me some examples of this cultural Christianity. And one of them from Washington said, said, listen, when you're in the state of Washington, way up there, it's not an automatic that someone just says, hey, I'll pray for you. They're like, pray? why would you pray for me? Like, you're going to pray for me? Like, what? We don't even think twice about saying we're going to pray for someone here, right? Now, the reality of it, do we actually pray for them? That's, that might be a different story. But, but saying it is automatic. It's like saying bless you when someone sneezes. Like, I'm going to pray for you, right? And so that's a, the culture of Christianity, but it doesn't always mean that there's true biblical Christianity there. It's a culture of Christianity. And so the, the danger is we, we have just enough to be, to, be, to be blinded by what we truly believe. I, I want to just define what I mean by cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity is a religion, is a religion that superficially identifies itself as Christianity, but does not truly adhere to the faith. Uh, this is coming from God Questions uh, Ministries. It says, a cultural Christian is a nominal believer. He wears the label Christian, but the label has more to do with his family background and upbringing than any personal conviction that Je- uh, to Jesus as Lord. Cultural Christianity is more social than spiritual. A cultural Christian identifies with certain aspects of Christianity, such as the good works of Jesus, but rejects the spiritual aspects required to be biblically defined Christian. I'm going to break this down for you a little bit. I'm just going to rattle some of these off. The following are some identifying marks of cultural Christianity. So you can know it when you see it. Or maybe some of us, if we're being really honest and we're being really open, and I hope we are. I hope we're at church not to play games. I hope we're in our church not just to hear a message, to go through the motions. I hope we're here this morning to hear what God wants us to hear and to to let him convict our hearts and and see exactly what it is that we we need to recognize. But the following are identifying marks according to this, this ministry. It says, Denying the inspiration of Scripture or parts of Scripture. It's an identifying mark of cultural Christianity. Ignoring or downplaying true repentance as the first step to knowing God. There's not a lot of talk about repentance anymore. Focusing on Jesus' love and acceptance to the exclusion of his teaching on hell, obedience, and self-sacrifice. Remember, self-help. It's all about self-care. No, how about self-sacrifice? This is what God calls us to Tolerating or even celebrating ongoing sin while claiming to know God. That's a big one today, isn't it? We can celebrate it. We can do it. I know God, but, but certainly God doesn't mean it, right? Understanding or redefining scriptural truths to accommodate culture. Understanding Jesus to be the primarily a social reformer rather than God in the flesh who is a sacrifice for our sin. Claiming God's promises while ignoring the requirements included with them. I see this all the time as a pastor. I, I see these, I'm going to claim the blessings for 2024. It's going to be my year of blessing. Can I tell you how you can recognize blessings in your life? Focus on Jesus. When you focus on Jesus and you make a point to grow in your faith, you start to see the world around you so much differently. What you never recognize as a blessing in your life, you will start to recognize as a blessing when you start focusing on Jesus. 
The things, the very thing that you might complain about today, when you start putting your faith and trust and hope in Jesus Christ and praying and meet with him today, every single day, and you're spending time with God's word, the very things you used to complain about, you'll start seeing as a blessing. Because prayer changes our perspective on everything. Because when we meet with God, it changes our entire focus. It changes our worldview. It changes how we view things. Performing enough religious activity to gain a sense of well-being without a true devotion to Jesus. Talking about, and I hear this all the time, talking about God in a general sense, but very little about Jesus Christ as Lord. This is some marks of a cultural Christian. And if we are honest with ourselves, we see that there are many cultural Christians in our churches today. Here's the thing. Cultural Christians look the same talk the same as biblical Christians. They sit next to each other in church. They might raise their hand to the same worship song. They listen to the same Christian music. But the difference is one is being discipled and one is not. One knows their Bible and views culture through it. But one knows culture and wonders why the Bible can't be upgraded like an iPhone. Like... Why can't the Bible change? Like, does the Bible really say that? Surely we made, maybe we just made a mistake. Maybe that's not really what it means. Can I tell you there's a growing trend to try to explain away some of the scriptures? There's a growing trend to say, well, we've got it wrong for all these years. All these Bible scholars, all this church history, all, we, we've, we've been saying it wrong the whole time. Surely God didn't mean that. Here's what he really meant to make this sin okay. The Bible is clear on what happens when we add or take away from the word of God. All the plagues of the Bible will be upon you, it says. I don't know about you. Have you read the plagues lately? No thanks. I'll pass. I don't want any part of that. Whatever God's word says, it says. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's look at John 15, 1 through 10. This is... Jesus talking, he says the last of his I am statements where he is saying he is the true vine. It says this, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruits. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, don't miss this, church, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my, my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What a powerful, powerful message for us today. I pray we don't miss this. 
first we need to, to kind of define a few things. First of all, what is fruit? So we say, God, fruit? We should have fruit as believers in Jesus Christ. We should be bearing fruit. But what is fruit? What do we mean by that? Uh, one, one definition I found was, was an image. Fruit is an image of good things coming from the life of a believer that lasts for eternity. There aren't temporary things. These are kingdom things. The things we do for God that, that, are, that further his kingdom, those are, those are the fruit that we can produce. So I want to break this down. If you're a note taker in here, I want to break this into two parts. There's going to be a part, uh, one question that we're going to answer. How can we bear fruit? And we've got two points for that. And then I'm going to look at why should we bear fruits? Why is it important? And there's two points for that. So first, why, how can we bear fruit? How do we do it? What's the, what's the process of bearing fruit? Number one, repent. Let me say, Pastor, I don't see the word repent in that passage. That's what pruning is. It's, it's repenting. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruits. Repentance is the cutting away of sin in our lives. Pruning is a very simple process. Have you ever had a garden? Have you ever worked in the yard or whatever? You're, you're trying to make, help, keep plants healthy. You, get, you know, that it, it requires pruning. You look at what's dead, what's withered, what's brown, what's cr- what's crusty and you're like I got to cut that out it's not a you don't you don't sanitize it you don't sprinkle stuff on it you don't you don't coddle it and hope it gets better you got to cut it out there's there's it's no use right branches have two uses either for bearing fruits or for burning for bearing or burning that's it that's the only option you got so when you cut it out it's a simple process he's like it's got to go it's got to go if it doesn't belong if it's not bearing fruits it's got to go There are things in our lives as Christians, if we're being honest with ourselves today, there are many things in our lives that got to go in order to bear fruit, in order to glorify God. It's going to require some cutting. It's going to require some sacrifice. It's going to require some pain. It's not going to feel good, but ultimately what it's going to produce is more fruits. And more fruits will lead to more joy, as we'll look at later. So repentance is the key to growth. It is not a one-time thing. Repentance is so many, I don't understand why sometimes, so many times in churches we, we get this mindset that if we just get saved one time, we get saved, that moment you get saved, you repent, you ask God to forgive you for sins, and you're good. And there's no more repenting needing to be done. That's not what the Bible says. And that's the, that's the moment you can receive Christ. That's the, the moment that changes your life forever. Absolutely, you enter into a relationship with him when you repent that first time. But it's a process, a continual process that we should be doing on a, all the time is repenting from our sin, to turn from sin and turn towards Christ. And where we get these cultural Christians that come, that come from, especially in the South, is we get this idea that just because I made a decision one time when I was a kid and I, nothing ever has changed since then, that I'm good. The Bible says that none are good, no, not one. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need a Savior. He wants to be Lord of our life. It's not a one-time decision. This isn't hell insurance that we signed up for, and we're all good, and we can just do whatever we want now. That's not how it works. Repentance is a continual process. Grace is available. What about grace? Isn't grace unmerited favor? Isn't grace like God will just, I can just do whatever I want. I can, I can sin, but isn't God going to forgive me? Listen, grace is available, but it's not automatic. Grace is available, but it's not automatic. It requires repentance on our part to receive the grace that's made, been made available to us through Jesus on the cross. God doesn't accept us for who we are. You say, well, 
I said, aren't we supposed to come as we are? Absolutely, we'll come as you are, but you're not going to leave that way. You can come as you are, and we want you to come as you are. We don't have to clean you. Listen, if you can, don't even try to clean yourself up before you come to God. It won't work. You can't do it. They're not capable of it. But make one thing clear. God loves you enough to change you. God loves you enough to not leave you in your sin. If you had it all figured out, you wouldn't need him in the first place. Understand that. How arrogant are we that we think that, we, that God should adapt his holiness to accept our sin? He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are the ones that need to change. And yet so many times we're trying to change God. We're trying to change his word to adapt what we want. Can I tell you this? The faith that saves you is the faith that changes you. Let me say that again. The faith that saves you is the faith that changes you. It's so important that we get that. I, went, I remember one time in high school, again, this is in Syracuse, New York, not a lot of Christians. I had a high school teacher ask me in a class, this was kind of a more of a kind of fun class, and we talked about a lot of different issues and different things, and she asked me as a Christian, because I was very outspoken about my faith, they knew I was going, I already at that point knew I wanted to be a pastor, even in high school, and so I made that very known publicly, and she said, why, why as a Christian do you speak out against certain lifestyles of sin when the Bible says, doesn't the Bible say we should accept everyone? And so I, this is a, a self-proclaimed devout Catholic at the time, and I asked her to show me where the Bible says we should accept everyone. Spoiler alert, she couldn't. She's like, well, um, uh, uh, yep. Yeah. I was like, you are sadly mistaken on what the Bible says. Should we love everyone? Yeah, but part of loving someone is speaking the truth. Speak the truth in love. How much do I have to hate someone to know they're living a lifestyle of sin and not warn them about where that road heads? How arrogant are we? We think God should adapt to us. If we are honest, many of us know we have already started the new year committing the same sin we swore we would not commit this year. We are not allowed, we're not allowing the vine dresser, the father, to do his work, to cut out what needs to be cut out. We're trying to do it on our own power. Let God prune, let God prune the wilted, dead habits, thoughts, relationships, friends, everything out of our lives so that we can be more effective and bearing fruit that will impact the kingdom. We must allow God to prune us. We must repent. Second, Way we can, how do we bear fruit? We abide in Christ. Verse 4 and 5. Read that again with me. It says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branches cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. You could do nothing without Christ. You know what abiding in Christ means? Abiding in Christ means simply to be close to him to draw strength from him, to walk with him, to be close to him. God wants from us so much more than just a checklist and say, I went to church today, good for me. I read my Bible today, good for me. I said my prayers today, good for me. And you just live the rest of your life like it's just apart from God. God wants everything. He wants us to meet with him. Don't look at your quiet time or your as just a, as a formality. So there's something I did so I can feel better about myself. I'll, do you meet with God during that time? Do you allow Him to speak into your life? 
He wants, to meet with, he wants us to meet with him, to cry out to him, to hear from him, to be moved by him, and to be eternally changed for his glory. That should be the goal every time we go to God, whether it's on a Sunday morning at church or a Monday morning in our, in our bedrooms before we start our day. We want to say, God, I want to abide in you so that I can bear fruits. I want my life to look different than the world. I want to bear fruit. I want to do things for your glory. I want this year to be different. I want to be so much closer to you. Then we must allow God to prune us And then we must abide in him. He wants intimacy with us. You say, well, that's kind of a weird word. Intimacy is one of those words that that culture has hijacked to mean a lot of different things. Uh, If you see intimates in a store, um, men, that's kind of probably the section you want to walk around and awkwardly just kind of avoid. Like, oh, don't want to see that. Especially if you have a four-year-old with you who uh, doesn't quite have a filter and doesn't know his own volume who yells, Daddy, why is that woman in the picture wearing her underwear? You say, I don't know, son, but let's keep moving. She probably needs to find some clothes. (laughs) Intimates. Intimacy, what it truly is, is so much more beyond all that the world has made it. Intimacy is defined simply as closeness. Can I tell you God wants to be close to you? Isn't that an amazing thought? Can we just take a second and just... Dwell on that fact for a second. Why would God want to be close to me? I know me. I know my faults and my failures and my weaknesses. God knows them too, and he still wants to be close to us. Because in our weakness, through him, we can become strength. We can find strength and find hope and find joy that we need. We should desire intimacy, closeness with God, who knows us better than we know ourselves. I used to think as a, as a teenager growing up, I used to think, man, I can't wait till I get married one day and my wife's going to know me so well and she's going to, she just going to, we're going to click and we're just, it's going to be amazing. And I can tell you now that I've been married for a few years, um, you know, we, we know each other pretty well. That's all, that's all that's true. But can I tell you as much as my wife knows me, as much as I try to know her and some days I don't really know her very well at all, it seems like <laughs> most husbands can probably attest to that. I can just tell you that. The way we know each other doesn't lift a, king, a finger to how much God knows me. And yet we take the relationship that we have in our lives, the one who knit us together in our mother's womb, it doesn't get any more intimate than that. He knows our thoughts, the ones no one else knows, the ones we pray in secret, the ones we hope no one else will find out, he already knows about them. And yet he still wants to be close to us. He's the most intimate relationship that we have available to us. And yet, yet, if we're honest in this room tonight, this morning, it's the relationship we neglect the most. Why do we do it? Why do we settle for less? Why are we content with spiritual empathy when he wants us to grow up in our faith? He wants so much more in our relationship with him. Second question this passage answers is, why do we bear fruit? We know how to bear fruit, but why do we bear fruit? Why is it important that we do that? Number one is bearing fruit is how we glorify God and prove to be his children. Look at verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruits and so prove to be my disciples. 
I've mentioned many, many times, so, so many people are out there searching for purpose, searching for meaning. Why do I exist? What, what, what's, why am I on earth? And the answer is always the same. You exist to glorify God. And so here we have in this verse, he says, Jesus himself is telling us. This isn't Paul. This isn't Timothy. This isn't, this isn't Luke or anybody else. This is Jesus himself making it very clear to us, by this, this is it. This is the ticket. Pay attention to this. By this, you can glorify God. Live out your purpose on earth. How do we do it? By to bear much fruits and prove to be my disciples. You want to prove your disciple of Jesus Christ? Bear fruits. And here's the tricky part. Here's what we, we miss sometimes. It doesn't say to bear a fruit. It doesn't say to bear some fruit. It says to bear much fruit. So when we look at our lives and we say, I want to be identified as a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to know that my life is worth something and not nothing. Because remember, we can't do anything on our own. It says you, accomplish, you can do nothing. Obviously, we can do things, but when we talk about nothing, it means nothing of eternal value, nothing that matters, nothing that lasts can we do on our own. And so when we are connected to the vine, when we, we surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ every single day, we have a relationship with him, he's going to allow us to build, to bear fruits in our lives. And when we start bearing much fruits, people are going to start to take notice and say, hey, that's a disciple of Jesus, because there's something so totally different about them. Because they're bearing fruit with their lives. They're going to look at us and they're going to say, how can they do that? Why do they, they care about that person who hates them? Or why do, they, why do they go out of their way to bless that person when, when no one else is blessing them? Because we recognize, we see people the way God sees them and not the way we want to see them. When we surrender our lives to Christ and we surrender our will to him every single day, we grow in him, we're, we're, we're abiding in him, the result is going to be we glorify God. We bear much fruits. I said this before, I'll say it again. Branches are good for two things, bearing or burning. A branch cannot produce its own life and must draw life from the vine. The question many ask is, does this passage, when it talks about cutting away and burning the, the, the branches that don't bear fruit, is it, is, that, is it talking about losing your salvation? Should I be worried? Should I be worried about losing my salvation if, if, I, if I'm not bearing fruits? The answer is no. It's not, you, you can't lose your salvation, but that's the wrong question to ask. The question we should be asking is not, can we lose our salvation? The question is much more important is this, is my life, if my life has never produced fruits, does that mean I've never been connected to the vine in the first place? It's not a question of losing your salvation, it's a question of have you ever had it to begin with? And that is a very real reality for so many of us that might be sitting in this room today. Can you just hear me? My prayer is that you do not take this as just another message, just another Sunday. God has appointed every single one of you to be in this room today to hear this message. And my heart goes out because I'm not the judge. I'm not the one. I'm so thankful I'm not the one. I can't point to you and say, oh, you're a cultural Christian, or you're a biblical Christian, or you really need to get saved, or you were saved, but you just were backslidden, or all those things. That is only for questions that we can ask God, and God can reveal to us. But if you're, that's you, if you're being honest with that, my prayer is that every single one of us search our hearts, because as we're about to do in just a moment before we take the Lord's Supper, examine our hearts to look at our lives. Have I ever bared fruit? Have I ever been connected to the vine? 
Maybe I got just enough Jesus, enough, just enough sprinklings of the word, or just enough church experience, or just enough cultural Christianity that I thought I was good, but when I reflect and look at my life, I can't honestly say that I've ever been saved. Can I tell you the good news today? Today can be the day of your salvation. I don't care what baptism you might have had, or what decision, or what aisle you might have walked. Every single day we have breath in our lungs, it's another opportunity to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. And maybe some of us, we know we are saved. We know we have a relationship with the Lord. But the truth of the matter is, as we reflect on our lives, it's been a long time since we really buried any fruit. We're not proven to be his disciples by the way we live. I can't think of a better time of year to think about it as we start a fresh calendar to say, this year is going to be different, not because I'm going to try harder. Not because I'm going to change my habits and do these things, do, do, do this checklist of things that's going to change my world. You want to change your world? You want to change who you are? Get close to Jesus. Everything in your life will improve. I can't promise you that it'll be all rainbows and sunshine. Paul certainly didn't experience that. Most people in the Bible didn't experience that. Look at Job. But I can promise you that God will walk with you and give you joy in the midst of of whatever it is God brings into your life. Secondly, how do we, why do we bear fruit? Bearing fruit in our lives is the only way to experience true joy. There is no joy like the joy of following Jesus Christ. Anybody experienced that before? Anybody, you've never had joy like you have when you, you finally surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. That brings joy like no other. Many people who claim to be Christians are just downright miserable. Anyone met a miserable Christian? <laughs> Don't point fingers. <laughs> They aren't bearing any fruit. That's why they're miserable. When we're miserable, it's because we're not living for Jesus. We're trying to do it on our own, and there's nothing more miserable than trying to do something that you don't have the power to do. Anyone try to do something that even though you're like, I have no idea how to do this, it's just like banging your head against the wall. That's what it's like for a lot of Christians today. They're trying to do the right things, but they're not doing it on their own power, and it's never going to work. They're not connected to the vine. In a moment, we're about to take communion. I'm going to go ahead and ask the, the band to come. We're going to play a song. We're going to do this a little bit differently, a little bit different for communion, a little different for our invitation too. But I want you to just really hone in with me and listen. Before we take communion, I want, I want to read what Warren Wiersbe says about abiding in Christ. He says, abiding in Christ demands worship, meditation on God's word, prayer, sacrifice, and service. Now, you might be thinking, whew, that sounds like a lot of work. Like, I'm really failing on this. That's a lot of work. But here's why. But what a joyful experience it is. Once you have begun to cultivate this deeper communion with Christ, you have no desire to return to the shallow life of a careless Christian. Can I just tell you, church, this morning, can I just plead with you that God wants so much more in your, in, in your relationship with the Lord that you've given him so far? I don't care how strong you are as a Christian. I don't care if you're a Bible scholar. I mean, it, that's true for all of us. That wherever we are in our relationship with Christ right now, God wants so much more. There's always room for growth. There's always room. And you have a decision and I have a decision to make right here this morning. And the decision is this. Do I want more of God? I know he wants more of me, but do I want more of him? 
If that's true, if you can answer yes, if you can say, I absolutely want more of God this year than I've ever gotten in before, and it's not going to be a Bible reading plan, it's not going to be a Bible study or all these things, all those things are great and wonderful things, they can be part of it, but the true heart comes down to this, allow God to prune, some th- prune you so that you could bear much fruit. Be a living example of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now listen, we're going to take communion, but before we do, it is important to note that communion, just like anything else in church that we do today, whether it's like singing songs or listening to a sermon, it can become mundane, routine, just a ritual, a formality. It could just be something else we do in church. My prayer for us, based on what God has just revealed to us through the scriptures, is that we don't let that happen, because there's a warning to us in the Bible that tells us there is a proper and an improper way to take the communion. And the proper way is to, verse Corinthians eleven twenty eight. let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. What does that mean? What does it mean to examine ourselves? It means to let God do some pruning. Let the vine dresser get the shears out and do some cutting. Before we take of this cup, before we take of this bread, let us examine our hearts and our minds and allow God to speak to us. So as they begin to, p- to play, here's what I want us to do. I want this opportunity to give you, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you say, I thought I did, but after today, after listening to what it looks like, after you experience Jesus, I'm not so sure anymore. Today, don't, you don't have to be embarrassed. You don't have to be ashamed. God wants nothing more for you than to be bold enough to say, I need to know today that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and I don't want to leave here until I have settled that with God. You can come to this altar. I would love nothing more than to tell you how you can be sure that you know Jesus if you have any doubt whatsoever. Some of you, you say, I I know Jesus, but I've never been baptized. I've never followed in obedience to him. That's that's the way you can bear fruit right away to show other people what, what is the commitment that you've made to Jesus Christ. Some of you may need to join this church. Many of us, many of us in this room, never mind, I'll I'll take that back. All of us in this room, before we take of this cup, before we take of this, 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 this bread, what we need to do is what the Bible tells us to do to examine our hearts and to see if there's not anything in us that God needs to cut, that we need to repent of, that we need to turn from and say, I want to grow in Jesus Christ this year. I want to be closer to him than ever before. It takes some cutting. It takes some repenting. It takes some pruning. But the results of the pruning is going to be amazing for us. It's going to be amazing. Just like Warren Rearsby just said, he said, listen, it's going to take some devotion and some worship and it's going to be God's word. But once you experience that next level in your relationship with Jesus Christ, you will never look back. You won't ever look back. Because there's so much joy in following Jesus Christ. There's so much joy and and purpose and and healing when we say, surrender our full selves and say, God, not my will anymore, but your will be done in my life. Help me to glorify you. Help me to bear much fruits. But let's leave it at the altar, church. As God leads you, maybe some of you need to pray at the altar, and maybe there's be other deacons will be available to pray with you. If you just say, I just need to pray with somebody, maybe you just need to sit at your seat, maybe you need to turn around and pray. I want you just to picture Jesus right there in front of you. Because he's with us today. He's with us right now in this moment. Just picture him right in front of you and just talk to him. As we play this song, if you want to sing, that's fine. You sing, you do what God wants you to do. But some of us, we just need to talk to him. We just need to say, God, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for my sin. 
I'm sorry for taking, I say I never do it again, I'm already doing it. I'm tired of trying to lean on myself. I want to, I want to be connected to the vine. I want to surrender my life for real this time. I want, to, I want to bear much fruit in my life, and I haven't been doing that. Lord, help me to be connected to you every single day so that I can, others will look at me and say, they're a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's something different about them, and they might glorify God as a result. Whatever God's leading you to do, if you need to pray at the altar, you need to come forward, you need to make a decision, we're going to sing this song. We're going to sing the whole song. I want you to take this moment. Don't miss this opportunity right here in church. Talk to God. Repent. Let him prune you. Whatever it is that you need to do.